0: Carlson, inimkliga- Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson som är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores. Yeah. Yes. yes! Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Girls and Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are gonna David Putty it up and talk about the Devils, and also a bunch of other teams in the Metropolitan Division. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, to break down all the news and action from the past couple of weeks, specifically about the Metropolitan Division, it's Brian Com.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to talk about the Metropolitan Division, which you've said a few times. And it's just a nice reminder that the Metropolitan Division exists again, right? There was a time where it didn't for all of last year. They put the Metro Band back together. And here we are. And it looks like a really competitive division this season, Elon, with a lot of teams who've made uh, a couple big moves or have just already been good. So it will be a really fun group of teams to watch. But on this episode, it will be a really great group of teams to talk about for their fantasy values uh, based on all the action that's happened since the draft and free agency.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a fun division to talk through and we're going to get to it in just a sec. But first, let me mention, of course, that we are presented by DobberHockey.com, and proudly, proudly so. That's your number one source for fantasy articles. If anyone tells you another source, they're lying to you, okay? Because they've been breaking down all of the trades, all the signings with like fantasy impacts telling you which players went up, which players went down by really great writers. We've had a few of them on the show in the past, so you definitely want to be checking out DobberHockey.com on the reg. But okay, Brian, let's get going and start with the New Jersey Devil who came away with the biggest prize of UFA this year, signing Dougie Hamilton to a seven-year, $9 million per year contract. Hamilton had a great year last year with Carolina. 42 points in 55 games for a 63-point pace. He averaged also over three shots per game. So, like, in fantasy, this guy was like, super valuable, one of the top defensemen to have on your roster. Brian, is there any chance that Dougie can keep up this production on New Jersey? Like, New Jersey is a team that scored a lot fewer goals than Carolina did last year. I guess there are some excuses you can make. Like, Nico Heshear was like injured pretty much for the whole season. Uh, Jack Hughes was only only 19 years old, so he'll finally not be a teenager. They've got a lot of young talent coming up in Holtz and Dawson Mercer, Nolan Foote. And that'll join like already a pretty young core in Sharon Govich. Uh, then you know they've got Bratton. Anyways, I can name you a bunch of players on uh, New Jersey, but like, what is that going to be enough for Dougie Hamilton to retain the fantasy value that he has had over the past couple seasons in Carolina?
1: There's are some good points that you've made, Elon, and Hishier and Hughes likely having more to offer this year, which does bode well for the Devils scoring. I'll add that the Devils also didn't have anyone resembling Dougie Hamilton on their blue line to help exit the zone and generate offense. From the back end. But then I'll also add that the Devils no longer have Kyle Palmieri, right? So there's another subtraction there. But hopefully, that list of talent you mentioned can make up for what was lost with Palmieri. Oh, and having Dougie Hamilton too. Hamilton, by the way, is moving from helming the second rated power play in the league. Uh, In Carolina, they converted at 26% to the 28th rated power play in the league, uh, where the Devils converted at just 14% last season. So they were desperate for somebody who could come in and make things happen on the blue line on the power play. So We'll see how much Dougie can move the needle just by bringing his QB talents to New Jersey. I think the move for his fantasy value likely hurts his ceiling in the short term. Over the last two seasons, Dougie Hamilton has played 102 games since becoming the lead offensive blue liner in Carolina, and he's carried a 66-point pace over those 100 games over the last two seasons, which is pretty impressive, but I'd be conservative uh, projecting. Hamilton for next year maybe more likely in the 55 60 point range than the 60 plus point range but you know still has that expected power play quarterback role still a big shot taker and I think Hamilton still remains a high-end fantasy defense option just not quite as high-end as before but if you're in a keeper league or any any league looking past just this year I wonder how long it can be until Hamilton can get back up to that 65-plus point pace that he's putting up in Carolina. The Devils looking pretty aggressive all of a sudden with a nice group of prospects in the cupboard who are part of what looks like, I'll call it, an accelerated rebuild. It looks like the Devils could be back on their feet and contending for the playoffs before long, and that would, of course, bode well for Hamilton's fantasy value if the team around him matures and improves uh soon sooner rather than later. So, uh, you know, we're all still haunted by memories of P.K. Subban moving to New Jersey and nothing happening there. I don't think the same thing is going to happen this time, although I didn't think it was going to happen the last time either. I'm just hoping that this time is different for Dougie Hamilton in New Jersey. Take a few points off his Carolina totals, but I still expect him to be a very relevant fantasy defenseman.
0: Yeah, like I love Dougie Hamilton. He's, he's a great player. He's been great in fantasy. I really don't think I'm going to be drafting him next year. Like We talked last episode how I like to be a little bit more reticent in drafting these players who are changing situations, and yeah, I am very haunted by the Subban situation. It's not as if New Jersey doesn't have another option to helm the top power play. Like They don't necessarily need to use Hamilton in that spot. Like Let's say he comes in and the power play's not doing well. They decide, okay, let's try something else. Ty Smith is there, who was expected to have that job. Last year, he had a 39 point pace rookie season where he saw over 50% of the power play time, so I'm definitely not saying that I think Ty Smith is the frontrunner to steal the power play from Hamilton, but I think like it's not as if Hamilton has this job like Tyson Barry in Edmonton like we discussed like I think there's still always a chance that they can like play around maybe go 50-50 so like I like Hamilton a lot I think this is great for New Jersey but yeah I think that he's going to go super high in fantasy next year based on his numbers last year and I'd rather pass and you know take someone that's a little more safe because also it's coming to a new team new situation who knows how he'll fit in so like Hamilton's a great player but uh, let someone else pick him would be my advice but we'll see what happens Huh? You disagree? I disagree
1: yeah I'm not as down on Hamilton as you are. Okay, so if we're looking at, I'm trying to think of a comparable for a defenseman in the 50 to 55 point range. Uh, How about, well, this is crazy. I mean, Drew Doughty, you would take Dougie Hamilton over (laughs) Drew Doughty, I'll take Dougie Hamilton
0: over Drew Doughty. Basically, like, I just like, when's the last time a defenseman on New Jersey has been like a top three fantasy defenseman, you know?
1: Yeah, well, there's a chicken and egg thing. When's the last time New Jersey had someone who was capable of producing that? Okay, Dougie Hamilton or Ryan Ellis?
0: Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, like, I like Dougie Hamilton a lot. I would have him probably. Top five, top ten? Yeah, Top ten. Probably, okay. but I think he's going to get drafted like third. Like, I think it's going to be like Makar and then maybe Tuggy Hamilton. Like, if you look okay, at so the. That's all you're
1: saying. You're not, you're, you're not saying he's not going to be worth it, or you're saying he's not going to be worth it where you think he's going to get drafted. I don't think he's going to be taken third overall. I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, Carolina wasn't interested, and he ended up with the Devils. That's a really seemingly unexciting team. I don't know if he's still going to go third
0: overall. Well, third of defenseman, you mean? Yeah. So we'll see. Like, our patrons ranked this before he got signed, and we have Makar as the first defenseman ranked, then Hedman, then Hamilton, then John Carlson, then Adam Fox, then Roman Yosi. I think that I'd probably put Hamilton maybe after... Roman Yossi at this point so that's a round where I'm thinking but I think he'll get drafted ahead of that but we'll see but I definitely still think he's really good so you know I'm definitely not saying like buyer beware like in a crazy way but just I don't think he's as sure a thing as some people might think he is and uh, maybe I'm just still burned about the whole P.K. Subban thing where he lost the top power play after like five games
1: no I think that's fair I just wanted to to get closer to exactly who you would take above him like Drew Doughty was a, a ridiculous choice
0: yeah as is Ryan Ellis
1: okay yeah but Thomas Shabbat no I'll take
0: Hamilton over Shabbat
1: okay yeah, okay. just looking at some of the the Cup full point leaders from last season in order yeah i think he's still clearly a top 10 maybe even top five defenseman yeah. okay we've talked enough about him
0: okay yeah let's go Moving to the on. other big move that the devils made which is they signed jonathan bernier who got traded to carolina as we'll talk about in a little bit but i guess uh, carolina didn't think he was worth actually signing and so then he went to ufa and then he signed a two-year 4.125 million aav deal with the devils so i think this is very good for them because we saw last year that Mackenzie blackwood could probably use a game off every now and then and for them to actually have a decent goalie and jonathan bernier has been a decent goalie lately like he's uh, at 32 years of age has had a couple of really good seasons recently he had a 914 save percentage in his 24 games last year which you have to remember this is on the detroit red wings not an amazing defensive team there were times when brian was like talking about jonathan bernier as like a sneaky guy at a free agency and obviously like whenever brian would say that then he'd have a bad game but still overall like bernier has shown he still has some game left to me, it seems obvious that he's just joining Blackwood as a tandem. I'm expecting these guys to be 50 50. Like, Blackwood had a season, uh, I'm imagining he's hoping he'll forget a uh, 902 save percentage in 35 games, but I expect that he's going to go back to being closer to what he was doing in his first couple seasons where he wasn't playing all the gosh darn time. So, Brian, are you with me? That's going to be a 50 50 thing with both goalies being relatively decent?
1: I think so. I think the the thing to keep in mind with Bernier's acquisition for the Devils is that I think it's a good place for Bernier to land, but I think it's also a good thing for Blackwood to have this support. Like you said, Elon, the the workhorse workload hasn't really worked out for Mackenzie Blackwood and it's not a surprise the Devils knew this when remember they added Corey Crawford last offseason and Crawford I was actually I'm, I'm just gonna retire actually I'm not gonna yeah. play so uh, Bernier in the mix I think does good things for Mackenzie Blackwood's numbers because the more Blackwood plays the more of a volume guy he becomes the worse his rate stats become and that kind of washes out so now Blackwood can maybe be yeah I don't know if it's going to be a 50-50 split I think that might be where it starts maybe Blackwood sees 55 60 percent of the starts but has solid rate stats because there is Jonathan Bernier in the picture to play several games so that Blackwood can rest and stay at his his peak performance
0: yeah so Brian let me ask you this we talked in the last episode about the Seattle Kraken they have that tandem of Grubauer and Drieger we don't know how good this team is going to be if you had to pick a goalie tandem to roster next year in fantasy you got to have the Kraken tandem or the Devils tandem who would you go with
1: I would go with, it's a really, it's a great question. I think I'll lean Seattle. And that really just comes down to the division they're playing against. Seattle uh, has a, yeah. a weaker division. I don't know who's a better team between Seattle and New Jersey in a vacuum. It, it's closer to a toss up. And of course, uh, Grubauer and Drieger seem to be very good goalies, but so do Bernie and Blackwood. So I think it's very close to even. I wonder if they're like conference counterparts, <laughs> these teams in tandems, but I will lean towards the Seattle tandem because they get to play with some teams that will struggle more than the teams that the Devils uh, are, are lined up to play against.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that would be a fun prop bet, actually, just New Jersey versus Seattle, who will get more points next year. I'll bet you that would be a round and even bet according to Vegas odds. I'm curious to see if that kind of thing will come out. Uh, okay, let's go now to the Philadelphia Flyers, who also made a lot of moves in this offseason. They pretty much like vamp this team. We already talked about them trading for Ryan Ellis, but they were just getting started. Uh, after acquiring Ellis, they traded Chink Gosses-Beher and some picks to Arizona. Basically, they dumped Gosses-Beher. Then they acquired Rasmus Ristolainen from Buffalo for Robert Hag and a first and a second. Ristolainen has a year left on his $5.4 million contract. Last year, not so great offensively. Only 18 points in 49 games for a 30-point pace with that dreadful Sabres team. Before that, he had been around a 45-point guy for three straight seasons with Buffalo up to 2018-19 before Darlene took over on the top power play and uh, Rasmussen line and say what you will about him and his defensive abilities and a lot of people on Twitter have been saying that maybe Philly should not have made this trade but as far as his power play production, he was really good on Buffalo. He had seasons of like 21, 25 and 23 power play points so no slouch there. Maybe someone that will challenge Ryan Ellis for that top power play if they're not both challenged by Keith Yandel who they also signed to a one year $900,000 contract. So, Yandel had 27 points in 56 games last year. That's a 40-point pace. 18 of those 27 points came on the power play. Basically, if you're bringing in Keith Yandel, I'd imagine it's to play him on the power play. Otherwise, why do you even have him at this point? So, Brian, how do you expect the D to shake out in Philly? Like, can you even, let's just rank, like, Ellis, Ristolainen, Yandel, and there's still Provorov in the mix. Yeah. Let's rank these four guys in terms of their likelihood to get the most power play time next season.
1: Yeah, there's still pro. I-, I like how you mentioned Ellis, Yandel, and in their respective power play resumes. Provorov's power play resumes. He's the incumbent in Philadelphia to continue playing on the top power play. Uh, if you want me to rank the likelihood or who's going to spend the most time on the top power play, my hunch and it's just a hunch, I'd go Ryan Ellis then Provorov, then Yandel and Ristalainen. And I agree with you that Yandel coming in to be anything but a power play specialist seems strange, but maybe he'll be the second power play specialist, even though uh Philly essentially has four guys who have at one point or another in their career quarterbacked a power play and proven themselves up to the task. It's an embarrassment of riches here for the Flyers in that category, but I think Alice is likely to be the one who wins out, at least to start, being the highest profile acquisition. If it's not Provorov, which I'm not sure, I'd actually give it even odds about which one of those two is the quarterback on opening night, but I would bet heavily that one of those two players is going to see the most time quarterbacking the top unit this season.
0: Okay, so then in a standard-ish league, is Ellis the defenseman you take first, or would you still take Provorov? This is, it's a tough team to predict, and also, it's like all four of these guys, well, no, Ryan Ellis is known for being a good defensive defenseman, as is Provorov, but they also brought in Ristalinen and Yandel. I just wonder what this is going to mean for Carter Hart, but I guess let's focus first on the d- defense, like, uh, like, in terms of fantasy value, who, who's the first defenseman that you take, and hopefully we'll just learn more in training camp, but like, it's very interesting all of a sudden, the situation, they've got four guys that all have offensive potential.
1: Yeah, I think I'll go Ryan Ellis first. And then I think I'd take Rasmus Ristolainen before Provorov. Just how much Philly gave up for him seems to me to be a sign that they're they're invested in Ristolainen. They want to see a lot from him. And I wouldn't take him because he's a good defenseman. But I'll take him because we see when he gets minutes he puts up a lot of peripherals so if peripherals are valued in your league I would go for him and I don't know that Provrov is going to score so many more points Provrov's peripherals have also been historically decent but they haven't been in Ristalainen territory and I'm not sure he's gonna have the capacity to outscore Ristalainen to the extent that it wipes out the difference in peripherals and then we'll have Yandel bringing up the rear there amongst those four what,
0: what does your order look like I think that's about right I think Ellis is the tough one to project like I could see him being at the top and I could see him being like third I I definitely agree that Yandel's last and then Ristolainen yeah he seems like a nice guy to grab in fantasy in your multi-category leagues. So I think he's going to get you your hits and blocks and you know like you said they paid a lot for him A first uh they're also just taking on this big contract so I'd imagine he gets a lot of minutes and that should also lead to some points and we'll see what kind of power play role he gets I guess they'll be able to try out lots of different combinations and see what works uh the other big move that Philly made is they traded their longtime star Jacob Voracek Brian one of your favorites they traded him for Cam Atkinson who I think it's also one of your favorites so I guess I'm curious to see who you think won this deal Though when I talked to Allison Lucan on the most recent episode talking about the Columbus Blue Jackets she made a really good point that like the reason Columbus made this deal it wasn't necessarily because they think Voracek is better than Atkinson but it's more just that they needed someone that can dish to Patrick Liney and Atkinson is like a scorer and they needed someone to try to help unlock Liney's potential that's why they wanted someone like Voracek who's more of a playmaker as far as Philly goes they get Cam Atkinson who had 34 points in 56 games last year it's a 50 point pace he averaged 2.8 shots per game down from like the around three and a half shots per game that he had in the previous three seasons so this was a down year for Atkinson do you think that Atkinson at this point now on Philly has it in him to go back to being that like you know 30 goal like three and a half shot per game guy that he had been on Columbus before last season
1: I hope so this is good news for Kim Atkinson although the good news had already arrived since John Tortorella was out in Columbus as head coach that was enough good news to begin with but because the 32 year old Atkinson fell off in a very bad way last year in Columbus. In the two years before that, when Atkinson wasn't doing great, there was still reason to say, well, this seems to be going well enough and some of the variance just isn't lining up for him or this is a reasonable decline, but we still have reason to hope that Atkinson can bust out every so often. Last season, there was none of that daylight for Atkinson in Columbus. And remember, he was also, uh, in a, he was playing with Roslovic and Patrick Liney and that line just did not make a whole lot of sense. Atkinson's shot rates fell way, way off, which is something that we've been able to sort of rely on him for in the past. But now Atkinson comes to Philly, and he's playing uh, in, in new scenery and with maybe Sean Couturier or Kevin Hayes as his centerman, which is a huge upgrade over Jack Rossovic. And that could be a great way for Atkinson to get back on track. I'm cautiously optimistic that Atkinson can find his way back to the 55, 60 point range in which he peaked before coming down to that 50 point pace he's been putting up over the last couple years. The thing is that I'm not sure a top power play role is going to be available. And that could be the difference between Ken Atkinson being this 55, 60 point player or being uh, this guy who's still stuck around the 50 point mark so for me that's the concern that Atkinson doesn't fit into Philly's top power play plans but I am excited for what this could bring him playing with Couturier or Hayes at even strength
0: yeah so here's uh, apropos of nothing here's a tweet from a beat writer from the flyers sam carcidi uh pontificating about what the lines could look like just to try to like put wrap our head around like where atkinson could fit in he was postulating like couturier centering Giroux and atkinson and then kevin hayes can play with farabee and connect which makes sense because they played together a lot last year then you got scott Lawton with jvr and wade allison okay but basically uh sam here projects that atkinson can fit in on a top line with couturier and Giroux. so obviously like you said brian the power play could make a big difference, but definitely that would have Atkinson pretty high on my radar for me. Someone I'd probably be more excited about than Jacob Voracek uh, at the least, because I don't know if, uh, even though Voracek now gets to play with Patrick Laine, like you said, Columbus still hasn't been known for much scoring, and also Laine has not been as good as he was in the past, so uh, that's that trade, and then I guess the other big news out of Philly is that they signed Martin Jones to a one-year, two-million-dollar contract, so we've, you know, we've talked enough about how Martin Jones hasn't been that great. Like, I feel like I beat up on this guy too much, like uh i don't think he's that much worse of a backup than brian elliott maybe he's even better since you know we haven't seen martin jones okay. in like a straight agree okay well you love brian elliott of course but <laughs> i'll just say like we've never seen martin jones in, like a straight backup role where he's not expected to like you know lead the team like carter hart hopefully is going to be able to be the starter martin jones is the backup I don't. Know, I don't think this is like a bad move by Philly. Like I, th- I don't love Martin Jones, but I feel as a backup, maybe he could do something. Kind of like Jake Allen, you know, was like trying to be a starter in St. Louis, really struggling, couldn't handle it. Then once he became the backup to Bennington, all of a sudden he turned into a pretty decent goalie. So maybe Jones has it in him. I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't matter because Carter Hart bounces back and becomes like a sure starter that plays most of the games.
1: I'll give it to you that beating Brian Elliott as a backup is not uh, a high bar to clear. Eight eighty nine last season is a thirty five year old. Eight ninety nine the year before, but before that. He had a pretty solid track record. Okay, yeah. Like I didn't mean to say
0: that like Elliot. I'm talking about Elliot now, not Elliot from like six years ago. (laughs) Okay,
1: so Martin Jones didn't cut it as a starter, but you're right. Maybe he will find himself a a home or a comfortable place being a backup. It still seems like kind of an expensive and weak insurance policy, but you have to hope that uh, Jones can do something, or at least be good enough. I don't know. I'm actually pretty concerned about this move. I'm trying to see, be optimistic about it, but when you saw Carter Hart have the year he had last year, to me, don't you think that, not that he was necessarily available, but someone like Yarrow Halak might have made more sense to come in? Someone who can really uh, be a source of stability and make sure... But if your starter is taking a seat, uh, the other guy can carry the torch for a little bit while the starter gets right. And that didn't happen last year with Brian Elliott in Philly. And I'm concerned that it's not going to happen this year with Martin Jones if Carter Hart needs that rest and space to figure out his game. So it's kind of a bummer for me that uh, Philly didn't come up with a with a really solid insurance policy that they may or may not. like. There's a decent chance they're going to need to call on it based on the last hockey we've seen from. Carter Hart.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I feel like this is like a high-risk, high-reward kind of move. Like They're hoping that $2 million turns out to be cheap for Jones, who at one time was really good, and maybe just you know, it could have been a situational thing, right? Like maybe just San Jose and Martin Jones, like just maybe he couldn't play under that system, but like again, this is like me trying to predict goalies. But regardless, uh, we'll see also just like Philly has this whole new look D with Ellis and Ristolainen and Yandel in the picture, and Gosses Beher no longer in the picture, so we'll you know, it's going to be very hard to predict these goalies. Overall, it sounds like like, are you up on Philly, like, in, in general? Like, do you think that they've improved their team going into next year and they're going to get back into the playoff hunt?
1: The thing is that I don't know that they've improved their team, but they can't be as bad as they were last year. Last year seemed like a total aberration, for the Flyers. They looked so good on paper. And they came off such a strong season before that, remember, uh, they tore it up at the end of the 1920 season. And then coming into 2021, they were like a fun pick to go deep in the playoffs. And then everything just fell apart around them. I remember reading through the season that there were a lot of COVID complications amongst the team and like their personal lives that really seemed to exacerbate things and that they never really found their footing. So I'm hoping that we're just kind of hitting the reset button on Philly, even with this big change in personnel. I'm not sure they've really improved their team, but I think they might still be at least as good on paper as we thought they were heading into last season, which gives them a chance at being a really competitive team.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with you. You could go back and listen to my interview with Charlie O'Connor, which may seem really out of date at this point, but he did bring up like all these complications and Carter Hart just got ran into the ground, and like a team can't do well if they don't get the goaltending. So hopefully this year things will be more stable, just because they have the you know regular schedule and not these like long breaks because of COVID outbreaks. Like I mean, we really hope that's going to be the case. Okay, so next up we're going to go to the Carolina Hurricanes, but first we'll just take a little break. Uh, but. Like I said, we'll be back soon. You're listening to Kevin Carlson. All right, we are back, Brian. Let's go to the next Metropolitan Division team. I think this is the team that was the most, like, I'm scratching my head about the moves that they made. I'm talking about the Carolina Hurricanes. First of all, they traded Alex Nedeljkovic... I still can't get over this. We've talked about this on our Discord. And, like, people have tried to explain. There's been tweets trying to explain. This. I don't... They traded Alex Ndjelkovich to Detroit for a third-round pick. And Jonathan Bernier, who was a UFA that they didn't sign. So, basically, they traded Ndjelkovich for a third-round pick. This is a guy who had 15 wins and a 932 save percentage in 23 games last season. His rookie season, he was a Calder nominee. And they just gave him away because they didn't want to sign him for two years at $3 million per year. That's the contract he ended up getting with Detroit. Detroit. I guess too much money. Instead, they decided they wanted to sign Frederick Anderson for two years, $4.5 million, So 1.5 times the price of Alex Angelgovic because I guess they wanted a veteran presence for their playoff run. Frederick Anderson had an 8.95 save percentage last year in 24 games last year in a season where he was injured. a lot. The season before, he had a 9.09 save percentage. It's not as if he completely fell off. Like It's been a couple years now that Frederick Anderson has been struggling. He's 31 years old now. And then as their backup, because they also lost Reimer and Morazic to UFA, they signed Antti Ranta? as their backup for two years, 2 million. Uh, this is a guy who can't play more than like a handful of games each season because he always gets injured. And last year when he did play in his 12 games, he didn't even do that. Well, nine five save percent. He's someone that we've seen can go on really great runs when healthy. It's been a while since we've seen it. So Brian, like I don't get it. Like, I don't get why you don't keep Nadjelkovic and then sign like Anderson or whatever as your second goalie. Like, obviously they just don't like this guy. This is the team that waived him go like early on in the season. And we're lucky that no one else got him. Then he like basically led them into the playoffs and was great in the playoffs as well. Uh, all I'll say before I cut to you is that they've got Anderson and Ranta, these two entry-prone goalies. I'm looking at Alex Lyon, who is, they just also signed to a two-year deal. He's going to get some games next year. I don't know how good he is, but he's going to get some games because there's no way Anderson and Ranta are staying healthy all year. I am O.
1: Alex Lyon, meanwhile, watching Martin Jones get signed in Philly and saying, wasn't I better? Like, wasn't I it's still a decent option to get that two million dollar one-year contract? He has security here in Carolina, but the total value of his contract... Uh, over two years adds up to what Jones is making in one. So a little little thought for Alex Lyon and the good work he tried to put in in Philly. Uh, For the Carolina goaltending situation, honestly, I don't know. And there seems to be a a strange theme. I'm not going to get too deep into it now, but the strange theme underlying a lot of their moves this offseason, there's been a lot of talk about their owner as someone who is very cost efficient, I guess would be putting it lightly. And uh, also, is someone who's very opinionated. And so, I, I just wonder if he's calling some of the shots here. Cause why wouldn't you invest a small amount to see if this goalie who N- Nadelkovic, who's been so freaking good for you, and you let him start your playoff run uh, to just toss him aside and say, Yeah, you're not, you're not worth it anymore. And I also don't even get. What the Canes were doing signing Anderson. It's like they, they dealt Petamorazic for another version of Petamorazic and Freddie Anderson is someone who's injury prone, has some high highs, some low lows, and is best when he's busy, which is not something we see happen often for a goalie in Carolina. And then you have Auntie Ranta. And I love how you said when healthy. That's, that's what we always say about Auntie Ranta. And how often is when healthy the actual true current state of Auntie Ranta? I mean, I was searching like you immediately for the next goalie on the depth chart. When I saw that Ranta and Anderson were the tandem that Carolina is going into the next year with, I I'm with you that Alex Lyon is likely to dress a bunch of games and could find himself in a backup role between the two injured goalies playing some games. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Carolina is doing, but just to break down the move on Ranta, when healthy, I think that's officially his name actually uh, is Can be good, but it's been a long time since he's had a stretch of healthy play. And Freddie Anderson, speaking of health, last year I think he was injured. Right, there was a lot of talk he was playing through some kind of injury. It was a really, really bad year for Freddie Anderson. Eight ninety five save percentage, thirty nine percent quality starts. Even the year before that, when Anderson was just average and disappointingly so, uh, Anderson still put up a nine oh nine and had a fifty two percent quality start percentage. So. Rumors that he was playing injured seem to bear out unless he's just really imploding. So we'll see what Freddie Anderson has to offer in Carolina, along with Antti Ranta. It's, it seems just like Carolina doesn't want to learn a lesson that's been shoved in their faces a lot over the last several years. You know, they're trying to just slide by with their goalies and, you know, not have a sure thing in any of the two guys. It was like, OK, if we have two unsure things. Does, does that combine to be a sure thing? And the answer so far has been no. And uh, the trend will continue for at least another little while with Rhonda and Anderson uh, in sharing the crease in Carolina, none of whom I have a ton of faith in. And I, I'd i want them on my fantasy team as much as I wanted Mrazik and Reimer, which is to say, yeah, they're good, but low volume. And because they're low volume in the shots they face, uh, you're in line for what could be a lot of poor uh, safe percentage so nice. You might have a great goals against average, but if you're only facing 22 shots a night and you give up two or three goals, well, that's a bad safe percentage.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not drafting Frederick Anderson. He's someone who I think will go higher in drafts than he should. And I'd be very surprised if he, like, yeah, maybe his ceiling is what Morozic and Reimer were last year, which isn't so amazing. I don't think his ceiling is what Nadielkovic was last year. But anyway, you do you, Carolina. And speaking of Carolina doing you, uh, then we get to their defense. So they lose Dougie Hamilton to free agency obviously they can't do much about that i d- also didn't get how they left jake bean exposed to seattle and then after seattle didn't take him they trade to columbus for a second and yeah allison who i talked to about the blue jacket said yeah she doesn't really get it either but the uh, columbus is happy to have jake bean who's probably going to slot in potentially as a top pairing guy with uh, zach wierenski so there we go uh but don't worry they traded for ethan bear Who's uh, supposed to be a pretty good defenseman? He's been solid on Edmonton, not really offensive, but he's like a good defensive player. And then they signed Anthony D'Angelo to a one year, $1 million contract. Uh, they also signed Ian Cole and Brendan Smith to one year contract. So it looks like their defense right now is Slavin, Pesci, like Brady Shea, Gardner, Bear, and then D'Angelo. Then I guess Cole and Smith like maybe get a shot to make the team. Brian, okay, so. Tony D'Angelo, this like very controversial guy. I didn't expect any team to sign him, but I guess Carolina decided to take a shot at this $1 million contract. Uh, You know, I'll just say it. If he could keep it together, I'd imagine he's the front runner for the top power play, right? Like he, like I just mentioned the other options, like Slavin, Pesci, Shea, Gardner. Like none of these guys are players who have ever had this role and had a lot of success. I guess Gardner did once in Toronto, that's a million years ago. And yeah, TDA did have those 53 points in 68 games with the Rangers in 2019, 20. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to recommend him because he's like not a good person, but I don't know. I think there's some fantasy value there.
1: Yeah, that's the quandary that we're forced to play with now, right? Tony D'Angelo sure seems like he has a lot of fantasy value. And just not to gloss over who we're talking about, you didn't, but this is a guy who's used racial slurs, aggressed against officials, punched a teammate, gets into fights on social media. He's had so many chances. And I retweeted an article from Rachel Dory from the Staff and Graph podcast, our our Blue Wire buddies, uh, that she wrote over at Elite Prospects. It's an unlocked article, free for all. Uh, You can check it out. But she wrote in that article, it seems unfair that D'Angelo gets another chance when so many unfairly don't even get one chance to prove themselves. So many other players uh, for for one reason or another. So uh, I I bring that up with a fantasy angle, too, though, which is that we still like... Like I said about the goalies, I still can't totally understand how adding D'Angelo jibes with the team's goals, especially Carolina seems to have been a team, at least claimed to be a team, all about culture and building it. And so let's just say if signing D'Angelo was a decision that was supported from the financial side, but not necessarily the team or hockey side, you wonder whether things might go poof for D'Angelo the same way they did in New York and his managers are left holding the bag like they were last year when D'Angelo was demoted. So that's just something to keep in mind if you are thinking of buying some D'Angelo stock going into this season. Uh, But if you want to buy some stock and you can get past the the ethical angle here, there's no other Carolina defenseman who seems to have any legit chance at high-end offensive production you named them all elon on the carolina blue line there's not one i don't know maybe ethan bear can run a power play i have no idea because we've never seen him being given the chance but everybody else on the blue line has had that chance at one point and didn't do anything with it so by default that leaves d'angelo as somebody who does have some fantasy upside just yeah by default
0: yeah i guess it's the kind of thing like where i don't know if i'm going to invest a lot in him just because like you say it's possible he like ends up not making the team like for non-hockey reasons or for hockey reasons who knows but i'm probably not going to let him go undrafted in any of my leagues i'd probably take him with my last pick and then just see what happens because uh in the end i just want to win right (laughs) so think of me what you will uh next up let's go to columbus the team that got this free jake bean uh so i just did a whole show talking about the columbus blue jackets but just to recap they traded seth jones and a bunch of picks for adam bokevist and like that was a obviously a deal somewhat motivated by contract but a great return for columbus like Allison definitely agree that this is like no matter and she likes Seth Jones a lot more than the analytics tend to she thinks that there's a lot of things that maybe weren't factored in like basically like he had to play like so many big minutes that maybe like he did a little bit worse and anyways I, there's actually a really good episode also that Allison did on the Hockey PDO cast with Dimitri where they really dug into Seth Jones but we'll talk about Seth Jones when we talk about the Chicago Blackhawks on another episode but anyways he's gone uh, Columbus brings in Adam Bokvist uh, they also acquired Jake Bean uh, they extended Zach Wierenski so like I said we've already kind covered all of this on a recent episode but I think that you look at Columbus and they're likely going to run maybe a Wierenski-Bean first pair, Bokvis gavrikov second pair I don't really know what the fantasy takeaways are. Like Allison said that she thinks that Boakfist could be something, Bean could be something, but maybe not next year. Like maybe next year is a year where Columbus just tries to kind of figure things out. But she does think that Zach Wierenski is going to be still capable. And Wierenski's a guy who two years ago led defensemen in goals. Like he was the top scorer in goals in 2019 20. And then last year he got injured, so he wasn't even in the race. But if you like go and prorate his goal scoring, he was right there, like just behind the uh, Darnell nurses of the world like averaging around the same number of goals so this is a guy that's already been scoring a lot and now like with uh, Seth Jones gone obviously he loses his even strength uh, partner but you know he gets a more sure shot at running the top power play all the time so I think it's gonna be a big year for Zach Wierenski
1: Seems like it, at least in his bank account. That was a crazy contract that Wierenski got. But it sure seems like Columbus wants to invest in him, I assume, to be their top power play quarterback. But we don't know a lot about what the Columbus power play situation is going to look like next year, right? Because you've got a new coach in Brad Larson. You've got Jake Bean and Adam Bokvist. Both in the picture now. Jake Bean was pushed out right in Carolina, exposed in the draft, and then sent away. And now he's projected, like you said with Allison, in the, to play in the top pair in Columbus. So I wonder which of those uh, molds he ends up fitting best the one that uh, is not wanted by a playoff team or the one that plays top pair uh, on a team that hopes to contend sometime soon. And then Boakvist moving to Columbus. I, I'm sorry you didn't bring it up yet, but I, I just will. Um, bad for, like, this is bad for Adam Boakvist, right? it's bad for his offensive upside but we also have no idea like i said what their power play situation looks like maybe there's still room for him on the top unit because like new jersey there aren't more than three must-have forwards on the power play in columbus you've got liney bjorkstrand and voracek and i guess you want a center in there somewhere but maybe you can argue with Voracek, Liney, and Bjorkstrand being sure things on the top unit, or does Columbus split units? So for that reason, you might still find some fantasy value from Bokvist or maybe Jake Bean if they do go with a three forward 2 defense scheme on the top unit, or if they split time between the first and second units in Columbus. Uh, so that's a lot of wait and see. But the one thing we do know is that Worenski should have more guaranteed value than either of those other defensemen
0: yeah definitely i should have mentioned it off the bat like adam bokevist goes from being the power play one quarterback of the future for chicago to being just in columbus which is already a a team that doesn't have a good power play anyways maybe they'll be a little better this year but yeah and he's behind werensky he i guess he would have been behind seth jones uh so either way uh then i guess the other big thing is we already talked about this trade from the other angle but columbus traded away cam atkinson got jacob voracek like i said voracek the hope is that he's going to be able to dish to patrick line uh but i still am not expecting this to be good for voracek i like, like that center is probably jack Roslovic, maybe max domi when he comes back and then you know i guess in the future like so by the way on the positive side for columbus and not to say that none of this has been positive, by uh, like from my discussion it was basically that like for next year things might be a little rough but this is a team that's really well stocked for the future they just drafted three players in the first round of the draft that people are apparently very happy about and we'll do a we'll do a show about the draft at some point in the future anyway i think voracek goes down and like last year he had a 67 point pace i wouldn't be projecting him for more than like 50 55 what about you
1: We're on the same page. Even though Voracek has been the quietest 70-point guy for the last three years, he's not on that lethal Philadelphia power play anymore. So that's going to hurt him. And he also doesn't have a centerman anywhere in Columbus. Columbus is doing their best impression of Minnesota down the middle. They do have Max Domi, but he's out till maybe December after having had surgery. So until then, uh, their center depth chart in Columbus is Jack Roslovic. Boone Jenner, Sean Corrale, and Kevin Stenland. So I don't know which of those guys Jacob Voracek is going to be able to set up and play with. Basically flip what I said about Kem Atkinson having a good centerman to play with that might work for his style in Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, the flip side is Voracek situation, which is the worst side. So 70 points again for Voracek would shock me. 55 to 60 would still maybe even be hopeful. I think you're looking in the 50-55 point range for Jacob Voracek, unless he can do a lot more by himself than he was asked to do in Philly.
0: Yeah, and unless he and like Patrick Liney like really click, I think Liney has a lot of work to do on his own. And plus, like Voracek's not great for peripherals, so I could see him going undrafted or at least falling to free agency in a lot of leagues next year for the first time in a very very long time. Okay, let's go to the New York Rangers now. I guess the two biggest things they did is they traded Pavel Buchnievich and they signed Barclay Goodrow. So maybe let's start with Goodrow, who's like clearly going to be a bottom sixter, kind of like Blake Coleman, who you know came from the same team and we talked about in our last episode. So Goodrow signs a six-year, three point six million per year contract with the Rangers. He's 28 years old he's been a bottom sixer for his whole career he had a 30 point pace last season with tampa I, like unlike with blake coleman who we speculated that maybe there's room for him in the top six in calgary i think like the rangers are clearly signing this guy because they want him to be like they saw what tampa did they want to do the same they want goodrow on their third line so there's like no fantasy relevance here aside from some hits right
1: yeah, they want to do what Tampa did with Goudreau on their third line. It would help if they had Kucherov and Point and Stamper. Hey, they have Panarin the- and they, they have You're good right. players. <laughs> You're right. They're not that far off, but they're still kind of far off. Maybe if you look to the blue line, you see more holes. But Barkley Goudreau, I agree. He's not going to be asked to do any more in New York offensively than he did in Tampa. This is a guy who makes great depth on a cup team. So I'm, I'm just not sure if he fits that bill for the Rangers, although it wasn't that long ago that we were really excited about them being able to turn the tables on a rebuild really quickly and make a charge sooner rather than later for the cup. I don't know that they're as close (laughs) as we thought they would be to being that team a couple years ago, but I guess they're on the up and up and they think they're close enough that they can add a guy like Barkley Gaudreau for what they added him for and that he'll be useful to them in that pursuit.
0: Yeah, I think the problem is like yeah, the Rangers like are maybe on the up and up, but it's not because of what they did this off season because I like the nice thing about Tampa having Barkley Goodreau is it's really useful to have a player like him making a million dollars a year in your bottom six I don't know if it's as useful having a player like this making 3.6 million for the next like six years in your bottom six you kind of want to trade for your Barkley Goudreau's at the trade deadline like Tampa did when they're still cheap plus Tampa has some good play- I-, I mean anyways I don't I don't like this deal yeah. for the Rangers so let me get that straight and also I don't think that Goudreau has fantasy value and then trading Bucinevich for Sammy Blay and a twenty twenty to second uh so Bucinevich, to remind people just had an amazing season 48 points in 54 games that's a 73 point pace but I guess the Rangers didn't want to pay the uh, 5.8 million per year for four years that Bucinavich got with St. Louis and we'll talk about Bucinavich more when we talk about St. Louis on a future episode uh then we have Sammy Blay coming back who like Pretty fantasy-relevant. 15 points in 36 games last year. Uh, only played around 12 minutes per game. Another big hits guy, actually, just like Goudreau. They also traded for Ryan Reeves. So I don't know if the Rangers are just... Their big plan for the offseason was just to bring in all the big hitters, and they're going to lead the league in hits, and that's going to somehow help them. But obviously, they're just banking on Bucinevic being expendable because Kapo Kako and Vitali Kravtsov are going to be ready to like, step in and play in the top six, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but as of now, you can't, can't call this a win... But I guess in terms of fantasy, I'd imagine this helps Capococco, right? Who's Someone who's already getting shots in the top six. Now it's just a matter of him capitalizing. And I think it's definitely still possible. But, you know, we haven't seen it yet.
1: There's for sure opportunity for Caco, as there seems to have been for the last couple years. There was already opportunity for Caco with David Quinn being relieved of his head coaching duty. So we'll see if that helps Caco. I think I'd still be more interested in Lafreniere as being the first young, unproven New York Ranger that I want off the draft board. But that's just to say that I think you're going to have to spend a higher draft pick on Lafreniere than you will Kako. So maybe Kako makes a good late round flyer, especially if he does get this new opportunity with Bucnievich out. But I still think there could be a lot of shifting to come in the top six or top nine for the Rangers. There's been so much smoke around Strome and Zabanajad, and dare I say, Eichel, that it just... Uh, and uh, we've seen their beat writers also suggest that they're not done. That we can't really take any any kind of depth chart or line combo suggestion as being anywhere close to final. That might end up being the case, but. I'll hold my breath and wait and see. In the meantime, I'm not sure my projection changes that much between Lafreniere and Kako, regardless of anything that happens. Uh, it would be great for Kako to have this huge opportunity, but he's still someone who's burned us already a couple times and still hasn't really shown a ton of promise in the NHL even though we know the pedigree is there so hopefully a new coach and new opportunity will open up that door for him but I still want Lafreniere first
0: right okay fair and as far as like now this situation with Petrinovic gone I'm a little concerned about Mika Zibanejad right like I saw a recent tweet by Rangers beat writer Vince Mercogliano who tweeted uh, like you know just like I said before about another team like just a potential depth chart potential line combinations and he was throwing out uh, Zibanejad with Lafreniere and Kako and then Panarin with Stroman Kravtso and then Kreider on the third line with Hedl who just got extended and Goudreau who just came in Uh, so like hopefully something changes if not like Zabanajad, I don't know how much like he's a great player for sure but I wonder if we might be underrating how much Bucinevich like contributed to Zibanejad being so good like it's just like Bucinevich and Zibanejad have been playing together for so long so I'd be a little bit nervous I wonder if maybe Bucinevich being out of the picture at least for next year might lower my projection for Zabanajad just a little bit since I think he's losing like a really strong winger that he's clicked with really well.
1: That's a really fair point. And overall, just seeing the direction the Rangers are going in, I wonder if I want to decrease all my projections for the Rangers next year. They really seem to be placing this emphasis on guys like Goudreau. Like, they're giving up assets and cap space for Goudreau and Blay and Reeves. And I just don't see exactly how that makes them a better team and if they want to play with like a team with more grit or harder to play against or more guys to fight tom wilson i think is ultimately the goal here which is it's so strange to center your whole offseason on that when you had this core of really strong talent so i'm just i'm curious about exactly what kind what brand of hockey the rangers are going to be playing next season
0: Yeah, I wonder if you could have maybe I guess they couldn't have convinced Bucinevich to sign just like a one year deal and like I guess they're hoping that guys like Lafreniere and Kaka will be worth like a lot of money soon and But, you know, it's a good problem to have, but also then you have to have the cap space for them. But for now, yeah, this might be a downgrade for next year. So we'll see, unless this grit really helps them to win games against, like you said, the Washington Capitals. Let's go to the caps next. Uh, they didn't do too much. The biggest thing they did was extend Alex Ovechkin for uh, five years, 9.5 million per year. Ovechkin, I guess you could say had a down year last year. He had 24 goals and 42 points in 45 games. Still like a 42 goal, 77 point pace. Uh, so, you know, but still down from the previous seasons. Do we think at this point, at least for next year, like Ovi's getting Up a little bit up there in age, he's got this five year contract, but like just looking at 2021 22, do you think we can expect him to repeat this like 42 goal, 77 point pace that he put up the year before, or do you expect maybe he could do better? Uh, He's Ovi. he could always do better, but or look, (laughs) are you expecting to go down? Like, what, what, where do you see that as like the starting point for what to project next year?
1: I think that's a really good starting point. That 77 point pace looked sustainable, and I think that's that's a good starting point to try and figure out what Ovechkin's gonna do next year. Uh, if Ovechkin stayed the exact same age and the same, like the same in his body, then I'd be very comfortable projecting Ovechkin for pretty much the same total again next year, but Ovi will be another year older. So you should, even if it's not going to be true, you should at least expect it, set your expectations that Ovechkin is going to lose a couple points on that. So I would take him down from 77 points to somewhere in the 70, 75 point neighborhood. 70 probably too low, but somewhere in there. Um, But as we all know too well by now you doubt Ovi at your own risk so this is not to say it's impossible for him to do better than 77 points but I would consider that the high water mark if we're just going to attribute the usual aging impacts to him
0: yeah give me a 40 goals, 75 points for Ovi I think is what my projection is going to be by the way Shams is bringing up that Buchnevich had arbitration rights so that would have given him a one or two year deal so I just I like this uh, trade of Buchnevich even less for the Rangers I don't think they should have done this personally but we'll see maybe they're making Room for Eichel like you said so uh we'll judge it more as it comes uh okay so the other thing the Capitals did was they lost Vitek Vanacek to Seattle in expansion and then they got him back in a trade so that worked out well so now they still have that good tandem of Samsonov and Vanacek for next year and then they traded Brendan Dillon to the Jets so there's not really much more to talk about with the Washington Capitals so I guess uh unless you have anything to say I'm gonna move on to the Pittsburgh Penguins
1: Nope, nothing to say. Let's go to Pittsburgh.
0: Okay, so Pittsburgh also didn't do too much yet. Uh, We already talked about them trading Jared McCann for Hollander and that seventh-round pick to the Leafs, and then the Leafs lost McCann to Seattle, so that's an old story already. Uh, They lost Brandon Tanev in the expansion draft to Seattle, and I guess the biggest signing the Penguins made is they signed Brock McGinn to a four-year, $2.75 million per-year contract. Uh, McGinn did have some stretches last year, playing on the top line in Carolina with Aho and Svechnikov. He still only managed 13 points in 37 games, overall for 29 point pace he's never eclipsed 30 points in his career so i don't know maybe someone to watch like you know pittsburgh always seems to have some random player playing with crosby or malkin and like malkin's actually injured to start the year but uh, i don't know maybe McGinn gets into the top six at some and we'll talk about him on an episode of keeping carlson someone to stream in for a week when pittsburgh has a good schedule i can't imagine he's someone like worth drafting or worth having too high on our radars
1: Exactly. Good schedule, maybe a good streamer, similar value to the way McGinn was in Carolina and as Tanev was in Pittsburgh. Get some hits, throw some shots on goal, mostly toil away on the third line, potentially get a turn in the top six because of injury, uh, but I wouldn't even put his value as high as Brandon Tanev's. It wasn't for most of last year and the year before, so I don't expect that to change. McGinn's 27 years old. I, I don't expect to see a brand new version of him in Pittsburgh. I'll keep an open mind, but At this moment, Brock McGinn just, he looks like good depth, but depth to me and not someone you're going to want in your fantasy lineup on a regular basis
0: yeah then Pittsburgh signed some other depth guys at uh, Danton Hine and Dominic Simone uh, back from Calgary <laughs> after he'd been in Pittsburgh for so long uh, Evan Rodriguez they re-signed uh, so yeah Pittsburgh's probably not going to change too much next year and then we end on the Islanders who have pretty much done absolutely nothing since we talked about them last in our last episode we talked about that trade where they sent Nick Letty to the Wings uh, they gave a bunch of picks to Arizona in order to get them to take Andrew Ladd from them and basically though they're are still some rumors like of the remaining free agents most of the rumors have them going to the islanders so kyle Palmieri and zach parise they've both uh been like people who have been linked to the islanders so we'll see if they end up uh signing Palmieri and getting parise who was waived by minnesota oh they lost jordan eberle to seattle in the expansion draft brian so i guess losing eberle he's a guy who played on the top line top power play with matt barzal for most of the year uh any sense of if there's someone who benefits from that
1: Palmieri, if if he does join the Islanders as rumored, I think Palmieri just plugs right in there and the Isles don't miss a beat after losing Eberle, which would be a really nice way to go uh, along in your business after losing a top line, top power play guy in an expansion draft. But we, we've seen the Islanders find ways to just keep skating on uh, before, so I don't doubt they'll be able to now. I don't really see any other impacts though from eberly leaving don't forget the islanders we don't talk a lot about rumors on the podcast but i will mention they're still popping up the aisles uh, their their name is coming up a lot in the tarasenko rumors or whatever of those persist and i think i will also just take this opportunity to remind like you asked well what are they gonna do without eberly uh, remember that anders lee was playing so great before getting injured this year so he's kind of an incumbent addition who you need to remind yourself about on draft day because he'll be ranked so low in the default rankings because he missed so many games due to injury. But I still expect him to be on the top line and on the top power play and to be relied upon for offense. So don't forget Anders Lee on draft day
0: definitely don't forget Anders Lee uh, I'll throw out a name for you I think a potential sleeper for next year if uh, Paul Mary you know maybe he comes back but doesn't slot in on the top line uh, watch out for Oliver Wallstrom he got some shots playing big minutes like with big opportunities last year and he capitalized he had some stretches where he did really well in the end he had 21 points in 44 games in his rookie season I could also see him slotting in in the Eberly slot he's a right winger so maybe he plays with Barzal and Lee so you know watch the line combinations in training camp but I would definitely maybe take a, a definitely maybe <laughs> take a late round swing on oliver wallstrom if i'm looking for someone in my drafts who could maybe give me a lot of upside but someone i could easily drop if it's not working out uh so that is the islanders And Brian, that takes us to the end of the Metropolitan Division. So now we've worked through two divisions and broken down the fantasy impacts of all of their moves, the Pacific and the Metro. We've still got the Atlantic and the Central Divisions to go, and we'll get to them very soon in in future episodes that we are going to be recording very soon. But in the meantime, hopefully everyone enjoyed this show and our Pacific show. Brian, you and I have been recording both of these shows on the same night. It is very late. I hope the quality didn't dip. Let us know what you thought about this show versus the uh, Pacific Division show by tweeting at us at Carlson. We'd love to hear if there was a discernible difference after my edit uh, but with that brian i guess i should also mention that we have our patreon going the keeping carlson ultimate Patreon fantasy League is going to be kicking up soon so we'd love for you to join our patreon community and get in on our discord also if you have questions about keepers or things going on like now's the time where you know fantasy is ramping up like i said at the end of the last episode we're just a month away from training camp fantasy hockey is coming back soon but with that brian i'm going to stop my blabbering we're gonna go to bed soon okay i promise so let's cue the outro music you can go ahead and read us the credits
1: all right this episode of the keaton carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dapper hockey and powered by our patrons local art by brandonweeb.com outro music from pat roach this episode was researched with help from dapper hockey frozen tools dapper prospects natural stat trick evolving hockey cap friendly Hockey reference, hockey viz, hockey database, elite prospects, and NBC sports edge.
0: Great job as always, Brian. I guess let's do the Atlantic next. That'll be fun. So I'm looking forward to talking to you all about the Leafs and the Sens and all the cool teams in the Atlantic with the Habs. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad you used your coolest voice about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I agree. Uh, so let's make sure to do it, and we'll have a great time when we do. And in the meantime, while you're waiting for that episode, remember fantasy hockey is for everyone.